This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Little Piece of Me. And the author is Stephen A. Geller. And Dr. Geller joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, doctor. Good afternoon. Great to have you with us. Let me read uh, just a short statement, a little bit more to have our listeners understand uh, about the book in general. We'll get into the details in a moment. But you say this is the story of a young woman who finds confidence and determination despite serious personal and medical challenges that threaten her marriage and her son's life. So we've got uh, some incredible challenges going on in this family, the the Kleinman family. Uh, before we find out about uh, Marcia and her husband and uh, her son, tell us a little bit about yourself, Doctor, and uh, why you decided to write this book. I decided to write a book uh, when I was about uh, 12 or 15 years old. Um, <laughs> I was uh, brought up by a mother who basically gave me a, brought me to a library for a library card when I was six years old, and I used to walk about, uh, oh, I guess about a mile to the library multiple times a week and read voraciously. Um, and then as I got older, I wanted to write. In high school, I did some writing and was encouraged by the uh, advisor to the literary magazine. I was co-editor-in-chief of the literary magazine. Then I went off to college, uh, still intending to write, going for a uh, rather broad liberal arts background uh, with English history, psychology, things like that. Um, And then in my senior almost my senior year in the early summer between my junior and senior years i realized i would never write the great american novel and that i might not have enough talent to write any novel um so i uh looked for something else to do that uh, could um, perhaps use my talents and i became pre-med and went off to medical school and an internship and residency uh, my residency was at the uh, Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York in pathology, which was a very important pathology teaching place at one time. I stayed there on faculty for um, about 14 years with a little interlude in the uh, in the Navy during the Vietnam years. Uh, and then uh, in the mid-'80s, uh, got restless and moved to Los Angeles to become uh, chairman of pathology at Cedar Sinai Medical Center. Um, and then when I retired, or when I was nearing retired retirement, I realized I was going to devote my major energies to writing, which I had been doing a little bit for, say, the 10 years before retirement. Uh, but then I devoted considerable energy to it and, uh, and had a little bit more time. My last few years of active work were... Uh, 60% work. I wasn't working full-time the last five or six years. After I stopped being chairman, I stayed on as faculty and, and worked two-thirds time. Um, 
did some writing and then had time to do more writing and lo and behold somehow a novel appeared <laughs> a novel appeared sounds like a quite a character study here of this young woman and and the you know the the great the great challenges because of her child's illness which in this case you used your uh, i guess your interest in liver diseases uh, to make that his problem yes uh, the i think the medical aspects are not uh, the dominant feature of the book uh, i think most readers don't have uh, patients for long medical diatribes, uh, so that's sort of background almost, although it's a very important background, uh, and um, it's more about the mother uh, and, and the father to a second degree, but mm -hmm. it's about her, her uh, situation, her background, her growth, uh, and her meeting the challenges of a sick child and a, an occasionally difficult husband um, and finding solace in music. And that music is her salvation? In this case, it's, uh, it's sort of a door opening for her. Uh, she was an accomplished musician. Uh, her mother was a concert pianist uh, of some note, but not one of the great pianists, had done some recordings, had concert tours, and was a, was a recognized excellent pianist. The daughter, Marsha, decided she didn't want to seek a career on the stage and instead taught music um, and studied music. Um, but uh, she decided to tackle uh, one of the more difficult piano pieces, the uh, Beethoven Appassionata Sonata, uh, which her mother had played with some renown and had even recorded. So she decided to tackle that uh, in practice um, to divert her mind from the illness and from her marital her increasing marital difficulties. Now, does her mother, though, have a pretty important impact upon her because the mom was such a critical mom and, you know, sometimes insensitive? Absolutely. You hit it on the nail. Um, uh, their relationship was strained, not terrible, but strained. Uh, and uh, she was a little wary of her mother's taking part in, in caring for the child and, and actually she was wary of her mother taking control. But her mother, as many of us do in moments of stress, uh, met the demands of the situation, recognized the people, uh, showed her great love for her daughter, and also taught her much about music as she learned this, this piece. And of course, her little son, Max, how old is he when he he's is diagnosed? About he's about three when he's diagnosed with this rare uh, liver disease. Correct. And needs a, a transplant. I mean, that, as a parent, I can just, uh, I can't even imagine the trauma that puts uh, mom and dad through. It's probably more the mom. Uh, yes, I, I would think so. And, and this was all prompted by my being confronted with a liver biopsy. Uh, my specialty in pathology is liver disease uh, by being confronted with a liver biopsy that had this rare condition in a three-year-old and the rest of the book is is uh, all fiction that's the the only part of it that's true uh, and um, and 
dealing with when I had the bias I had to deal with the physician I asked about the family how they were handling it the follow-up on the child uh, but but the story itself just sort of evolved from that point uh, and uh, as I've heard many skilled writers say uh, the story sometimes writes itself and, mm-hmm. and in a sense this this did mm-hmm. uh, what I did was write the uh, a few chapters to get started and then uh, got very good advice to write the last chapter as soon as possible and then I knew where I was going and and the characters and their personalities uh, guided my way <laughs> yes the characters start talking to each other and voila you have, you have a book it's a Absolutely. I hear that I hear that from uh, many authors that's interesting how that creative process happens so tell us it, about it did Mi- for me, yes. Yeah, so tell us about Michael, her husband, father of this little boy, uh, Max. Uh, uh, he's a bit controlling. Michael is a uh, up and coming, uh, relatively successful at his age uh, attorney, uh, who just coincidentally uh, specializes in medical malpractice. That almost has nothing to do with the book except it gives him a little knowledge of what's going mm-hmm. on that Marsha doesn't have a little understanding of some of the terminology but he's uh, highly highly ambitious uh, somewhat aggressive works for a big multi-city firm and gets transferred from New York to Los Angeles where the bulk of the story takes place um, and at one point uh, he both is offered a um, um, a position back in New York with a big raise, prestige, partnership, etc., and also is confronted with some of the medical choices for Max for the baby, um, which he doesn't like. So you did kind of put yourself into the story through this minor character. Yes, uh, I, I had to put a pathologist in. Uh, <laughs> The doctor who treats Max, uh, does he play a significant role in this? Yes. uh, They see, at first, the best-known liver pediatrician in in L.A., but uh, she, unfortunately, uh, is overworked and tired and needs to take a long vacation, so she recommends one of her former students and... and, uh, uh, Dr. Harvey, or some of his patients call him Dr. Harvey, um, and uh, uh, and he takes care of, of Max, and he's a very good doctor and very understanding and very supportive. This character study of Marsha, is really her trying to deal with all of these things, her son's sickness, her, her marriage is crumbling, and, and how her music just... Is it plays more and more of an important part in her life to make these kinds of decisions? Yes, and also her music, uh, she, she reconsiders her music career at one point, and, and uh, that, that becomes a part of, of what's going on in her life. So does that, are you trying to say something to the readers, uh, you know, about how to deal with these kinds of uh, um, this kind of trauma when we, you know, m- many people face these kinds of traumatic experiences? Well, I think I'm trying to say that that uh, life is mostly good. 
uh, even when tragic events occur, and that uh, beyond the clouds there are silver linings. And sorry for the triteness. I don't think there's too much triteness in the book, but right. <laughs> I injected it here. Uh, I'm trying to say to the reader that um, that even when you're an adult, you can grow, uh, you can confront uh, difficulties, and um, and come to a point where you can look forward rather than being trapped in the past. So it has, of course, its sad moments, this story, but at the same time, uh, it's also uplifting. Uh, that's my hope. Well, Doctor, uh, Dr. Stephen A. Geller, title of his book, A Little Piece of Me, tell us how we can get your book. One can get the book from the publisher, Author House. Uh, one can get it uh, from Amazon, from Barnes & Noble. Um, it'll be in a few bookstores, but thus far they're just local, and we really haven't begun the distribution stage yet. But uh, ultimately, I hope it'll be in bookstores. But certainly can be gotten online as a hard copy, uh, as a uh, paperback, uh, or as an electronic edition. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk. Uh, thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book today is titled A Soul's Journey, A Personal Story, and our author is Laureen Lenoir. Laureen, welcome to the program today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Glad to hear your voice, and you're joining me from Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. Tell me about the background. This is a spiritual book. What is the inspiration behind writing it? Well, basically, um, in living my life, as we all live our lives, at, at a certain point, we, we realized that um, life is more than what we're actually living. And in my case, you know, I was in a, at a, a really high-pressure job, you know, making a, a decent salary. But the one thing that was missing was I wasn't happy. So, you know, in, at the, in, in September of 2012, I made the decision that I cannot continue to live my life that way. And basically, I am, am a spiritual person, as you mentioned, and I have been studying a lot of truth principles and things like this, and my question to God was, what can I do to create the life that I desire? In other words, a life that would be filled with happiness, joy, and all the things that would fulfill my soul, and the answer was that 
this book, basically, and, and what they are are lessons, things that we look to learn the truth about ourselves. In other words, that we are worthy. We can live a life that we desire. These things are all possible, but, in, in, you know, in my case, and what I believe is that the one that can lead us to the life that we are supposed to live is God. And what the book does is it tells us that we can actually ask God to help us to create the life that we desire. What I like about your book, you you say it's life lessons or lessons. They're very short to the point, and they're affirming lessons. Uh, One of your statements is, today I let go of the past, something that all individuals have trouble with, I think. At least I do in my life. I have a lot of things in my past that are not necessarily bad. They're just things, and sometimes it's difficult to release those. And today, I let go of the past is your heading, and today I let go of the past, I let go of what has already passed. I've learned what was to be learned. Now I let the past go, taking fear and doubt with it. I now live in the now, a place of miracles, a place where my soul is free. Again, very short to the point, but inspirational in its content. Well, thank you. Who do you think is going to benefit most from reading your book? I I think that there's a lot of people that pretty much are fed up with their lives as they are now. And the only way you can change your life is you have to, first of all, decide that you do want to change your life. And that where you change your life is not in the past because what is past has already happened. And if you continue to do what you did in the past, you continue to get whatever you got in the past. In other words, what you don't want in your life. So, uh, you know, so people that are ready to change their lives and really take that step and, and trust God to guide them to the life that would, you know, fulfill their soul, those are the people that would benefit from the book. And did writing A Soul's Journey, A Personal Story, help you personally? Well, basically, the lessons in the books are the lessons that I'm living, (laughs) you know. So basically, what the book says is that you have to live your truth. In other words, uh, I read many books. In fact, I probably have a library here at my house. But the thing of it is, is that reading books are are great, and there's a, a lot to have intellectual knowledge. But at some point, you have to live your life. And that's what the book is about, because it starts at the beginning with making the decision that I'm ready to change my life and go into go into a direction that you've never done before and trust God or the universe or whatever you call that, that I guess, fulfills your soul to help you. Lorraine, what's the best way a reader can approach this book and really gain some help from reading it? You know, it's arranged in an, in an order that uh, not necessarily is the way I wrote it, but it's the the order that I kind of work through the lessons. And it's not a book that you have to, to zoom through. It's to actually think about what it's saying, what you really believe. Because there is a um, a chapter on the art of believing. And then there's some exercises for you to do to uh, change your beliefs. And in order to change them, you have to actually kind of know what they are. And then at a certain point when you realize that there's so many beliefs that you need to change, ask God to help you, you know, not believe these things so that you can do something different. So it's kind of, you know, just taking it one step at a time time and letting your, your soul guide you because this was my journey, and hopefully it will help you on your, your journey. But as you know, we're each different, so you kind of have to take it the way your soul feels that you're going. You could also say these motivational ideas are somewhat a meditation as well, could be used in that, yes. that context. 
in writing your book, did you sit down one day and just decide, I'm going to write a book and get inspired and just let it flow? Or was it a lengthy and arduous process getting it completed? Oh, well, believe me, I had no thought of ever writing a book. That Everybody, is, you know, since I wrote the book, everybody says, oh, I always wanted to write a book. Well, I never actually had that thought. <laughs> and as I was writing this, I, I didn't really know it was a book. What I knew was that they were helping me. So I was, because I do, you know, in my previous jobs, I always wrote a lot. So, of course, I, I wrote everything down, and it was like these lessons came to me, and it wasn't that I sat down and said, well, let me write a chapter on awakening. You know, this is just what came out, including the title. And then I, you know, I did a couple of these, wrote them out, and they actually were to music because I like music anyway. So they were coming out, and a lot of it were things that I never actually thought of before, and to say the least, I was a bit confused. So I actually went to my minister and showed it to him and asked him what he thought. And he told me, by all means, keep writing. <laughs> you know, whatever comes to you, just keep writing it down. So I was writing these things down, and I was bringing them to my church, and the other people at the church really liked it. In fact, everybody wanted a copy of it. So I, I kept writing it, and this was during the summer of 2013. And in, in, uh, at the beginning of September... I did a talk at the church about the book. Well, not about the book, but about the topics, various topics in the book. And um, somebody said, well, you need to write all this down because, you know, the video concept is not really, you know, we need to study this. We'd like to go uh, deeper into these topics. So one weekend, believe it or not, I took all of these things that I had written that were like presentations and things, and I put them in a book. And as I was putting it in the book, I was talking to my daughter, and she said, you know, these seem to be in order. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I never really thought about it, crazy as that sounds. So I put them in the order that appeared to be right to me. So I, and then I took the whole book to my minister and asked uh, another minister, what does she think about it? And she's like, oh, let me give you the name of a publisher. You need to send this into a publisher and see if you can uh, get this published because I think this is really good and I think this could help a lot of people because we're all on our soul's journey. So I, you know, sent an email to Author House and said, uh, you know, what do you think about this book? And I explained the concept, and somebody called me and said, yeah, we need to publish that book. In fact, we need to publish four books because uh, it was a lot more material than just in just one book. So it was kind of a, you know, strange to say the least, but <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and I have been studying the book since then, and. You know, it's just, it's still mind-boggling to me that, you know, these were my writings over the summer that actually turned into four books. It's a, a very nicely done book. What I like about it, I was a little concerned, 332 pages, but as I began to look through the book, there's not a lot of uh, verbiage on each page. They're just almost billboarded ideas and affirmations that stand out. I have faith in God is one of your key ideas. Under that, it says, God has already answered my prayers. So in gratitude, I give thanks and praise to God, who is the source of my supply. And that's the total content of one page. So mm -hmm. the book is easy to read, and it's one that can help you focus on an inspirational thought and positive input. How would you introduce this book to someone? Well, you know, people. a lot of people ask me uh, about the book, and the same question you asked on how to use the book and and basically those are thoughts you know and those are thoughts that are the truth 
In other words, when you're trying to develop your faith in God, I, I mean, you need to affirm the truth to yourself and ask God to make this truth real for me. I mean, it's it's not a, a book written on particular techniques, but it's a, a, a book of thoughts, of thoughts that of thoughts that are true and thoughts that if you can incorporate them into your consciousness, they will be reflected in your world. And they're all positive. All up well, yes. And in fact, uh, you know, I, I talk about that actually in the book. I think it's in, in later chapters. But the reason why they're all positive statements is because anytime we focus on negativity, even if we try to, you know, clean that up to be positive, in other words, doing uh, denials, it brings negativity into the situation. So what I like to do is look at positive affirmations. In, in other words, I like to affirm the truth, uh, you know, not deny an error thought because the, the longer you deny it, the more time you spend on that error thought and the harder it is for you to overcome it, so to speak. What makes your book stand out from other spiritual self-help books in the marketplace? I think the main key is that, first of all, it admits, and I, I admit this to myself all the time, that I can't do this on my own, and I actually ask God to help me. And I, I don't think I've seen too many books, there are a few, but that actually do that because it's all like, it, you know, you're doing this all by yourself. You know, you keep repeating these affirmations. And to be frank with you, on the many years that I studied many, many, many affirmations, I learned the affirmations, but they didn't do anything to change my life. So I asked God to help me to change my life, to help this become real to me. You know, that statement you had about faith, I, I said that many, many times, but I actually didn't have faith in God because it says that in the book because it was a shock to me, <laughs> but, but it's the truth. I, I really didn't. You know, I was just saying that, but it wasn't real. And, and, and that's the thing I want people to know, that they really are not alone, that there is something, God, to help you, to help you make these truths your truth. You don't have to do it on your own. That's well, a very good and positive read. Were there challenges in getting this book into print? It, it really happened very quickly after I actually decided it was a book. You know, my daughter says that it was it was a, a, a miracle because at first they said it was going to you know take a while to do it, but it went so well. And uh, you know, I have to give it to Author House because um, they did the design of the book is is beautiful. It was better than you know I ever could have imagined myself, but you know, it, it all kind of fell into place. It was almost as if uh, the universe wanted those books to get out there, you know, because there's other people. It's not just me, and that's another thing I wanted to make clear, too. It, everybody is on a journey, but we're not on this journey by ourselves. The the problems and the, uh, the doubts and things that we have, all people have this, like you said about the past. I think probably, I don't know, most people have a problem with the past, because even even if you um, have a pleasant memory, somehow it, it goes to something that's not so pleasant. So it's best not to even go to the past. Well, thank you for sharing your information and your story. This one is titled A Soul's Journey, A Personal Story, and our author is Lorene Lenoir. And this is book one, chapter one through ten. So I'm assuming from this that there are others that you are already in process of getting released. No, all four books are actually released. They're all released. Yeah, because when I actually talked about Author House about the books, they actually wanted to do all four books because it's a continuation, just like our journey is a continuation. And basically the first book 
is about affirmations about the truth about ourselves. The second book is about how to make that truth appear in your life. In other words, it talks about beliefs and how to live in this world. The next book, book three, is about how great you really are, to recognize that there's something special in each one of us, and and we need to come to terms with how special and how unique we really are. In other words, our differences are not a thought. Our differences are our strengths. And the fourth, fourth book is about now you know the truth, now it's time to actually live your truth. Excellent. This release, A Soul's Journey, A Personal Story. Lorene, how do my listeners get copies of your book? Well, the books are available on many online sites, but I'll name a few. They're on Amazon.com. They're on uh, Barnes & Noble and also on eBay, and also they're available through my uh, website. It's www.lorespiritualproductions.com, and that's L-O-I-R spiritualproductions.com. Thank you, Lorene, for joining me today. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Sacred Tears, and the author is Roderick Grigson, and Rod joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Rod. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us all the way from Australia, and this book takes us into a world where most people probably aren't very familiar with it. They've heard the the mysterious name of Sri Lanka, and that is kind of probably to most is mysterious, wouldn't you say? Yes, it is. It is. I mean, it's, uh, it's a part of the world that not many people have visited, um, and due to the recent uh, troubles in that country, uh, people have stayed away from. But uh, all that is behind us now, and uh, people are discovering the country. And that's an island about how far off the coast of India? About 40, 50 kilometers off the coast of India. It hangs uh, like a teardrop off the subcontinent of India. And um, it's known, it has been known by many, many names over, over the generations. And uh, today it's known as Sri Lanka, which actually means resplendent island. Mm, sounds beautiful. Well, this story, you say, is written about the beginning of the civil war in Sri Lanka, and the events are real, and you've you've used the experiences of fictitious characters to draw out the story. But before we find out about the characters and 
in this plot. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you, you were born in Sri Lanka, so this is, uh, this is real natural for you. That's right, yes. I was born um, soon after the country uh, was uh, given independence from the British. Uh, Sri Lanka has a, a history going back uh, over 2,500 years. Um, but for the last, uh, say, 450 years uh, before independence, it, the, it was ruled by the uh, Portuguese for 150 years, the Dutch for another 150 years, and then finally the British for 150 years. And they uh, made Sri Lanka independent in the late 1940s. Um, so I was basically the uh, descendant of a uh, of the British. Uh, my family uh, came from originally from Scotland and England, but my parents were born in Sri Lanka and I was born in Sri Lanka. So that's my background. I lived there for the first 21 years of my life and then left the country uh, to, uh, uh, to America, actually, to New York, where I worked for the United Nations for a number of years. And now you've ended up living in Australia. So let's talk about these two worlds you, you you've got one world where one character is in war-torn Beirut and then you got a, another character who's in the Sri Lankan army how do they you know tell us a little bit about Sammy and a little bit about David and then how their paths cross the reason I decided to to write the book like that was uh, I wanted to bring in some of my own experiences into the book um, when I worked for the United Nations, I served with the UN peacekeeping forces in the late 70s uh, in uh, south, south Lebanon. And I experienced some of the, uh, the horrors of the Lebanese civil war. Um, so by writing the book uh, through the eyes of two characters, um, one of them, uh, Sami, who was a Sri Lankan Moor or Muslim, who uh, ended up in Lebanon, um, I was able to bring in those experiences I had myself uh, during the war in Beirut. Uh, David is um, is an interesting character because he represents uh, the community that I come from. Um, we are known as burghers in uh, Sri Lanka. So uh, the British classified all uh, foreigners living in the country, who were born in the country as, as burghers, uh, which is a Dutch word for townsfolk. So um, we are called burghers. So David represents the burger community, which is the smallest minority group in the country. And many burghers served in the, in the military. In fact, my father uh, served with the Royal Ceylon Navy during the Second World War. And um, I thought that uh, by uh, talking about the war through the eyes of the two smallest minority groups, in other words, the Moors, uh, who originally came from the Middle East and from uh, Malaysia and Indonesia, and the Burghers, who came from, descendants came from Portugal, Holland, Britain, and other uh, countries uh, in the West. Um, it would give a different perspective to the entire, uh, you know, civil war, which was between the two uh, majority ethnic groups, the Sinhalese and the Tamils. 
And you've decided to, as you put it, dedicate alternative or alternative chapters to each main character. Uh, how, um, why did you do that, and how did that affect the writing of the story? It didn't start out that way, I must admit. I, I first wrote the story of Sammy, who was the Sri Lankan Moor, whose father was a, a trader uh, who exported vegetables to the Middle East, uh, who went to the Middle East to uh, learn the business, and then ended up in, in Lebanon uh, working for the, for the PLO uh, during the uh, Israeli invasion of that country. Um, so I first wrote about him. And then the second part of the book was about David. And the third part of the book was the incident or the event that actually brought them both together. Um, but then, you know, as I wrote the book, I thought to bring in some uh, narrative tension into the book uh, by alternating, alternating the, the two characters. The first chapter was Sammy. David was in the second chapter, Sammy the third, and so on and so forth. Um, it would sort of drive the reader forward just through its uh, the way that the book was written. And, and I think I've succeeded in that because a lot of uh, the reviews the book has been getting have been very uh, positive and, and talked about, uh, you know, the, the reader sort of being pulled through the book to, to find out how these two characters would eventually meet and what would happen. This is the first in a trilogy. Why did you decide to write three books uh, focused on this, uh, really this, as you say, a gripping human struggle? Well, when I started to write the book, um, I realized that, and I started doing the research, I realized that uh, there was a lot to write about. I mean, the, the civil war in Sri Lanka lasted for 26 years. And uh, there was no way I was going to do justice uh, to, uh, you know, that much of, uh, of uh, history in a, in a single book. So I decided to concentrate on writing about the beginning of the war, uh, how uh, so certain of the ethnic minority groups were, were affected by the war, how their families were affected by the war, and the choices that they had to make uh, when you know, confronted by this uh, growing uh, struggle. And then continue the story uh, through uh, the second book and the third book uh, and bring in uh, other significant events that happened uh, during the during the during the war, uh, not many people might realize, but uh, uh, there was a period there where India intervened and sent troops into Sri Lanka. Um, they were there for three years before they finally left, um, and then of course the end of the war, uh, which uh, has been in the news quite a bit recently. So. Uh, that was my intention. I mean, even three books, I don't think will do it justice. But uh, I will, uh, I will, you know, do my best to to portray the uh, the actual sequence of events through the eyes of these fictitious characters in the first book. And I will introduce other characters as well in the in the second and third books. And in this first book, uh, in the midst of the terror of this civil war, there's a love story. 
Yes, there is. There is absolutely. I mean, you know, it. Uh, humans are humans, right? Uh, and we uh, find, uh, you know, things to to cling on to during times of struggle and stress. They bring normalcy to our lives. And uh, you know, one of the characters uh, definitely finds, uh, you know, love am- amongst all this uh, chaos. And as we could well imagine, this kind of a setting, it's going to stretch these characters right to the limit. And as you put it, it's going to plumb the depths of their courage. Yes, yes. Um, again, I have served with uh, the UN peacekeeping forces in the in the Middle East, seen a lot of uh, war and how it can affect, uh, you know, people. And what always amazes me is how how resilient we are as a as a as as a human race, and how you know people adapt to certain situations. So it takes a special strength of character to uh, to do that, and be surprised that some of the people who who can you know live through a a really bad situation and come out the other end stronger and and even better uh, mentally from that experience and uh, it's not always the case obviously but uh, you know you tend to admire those kind of people and I thought I'll try to uh, you know bring some of that into this story bring this realism of the dark side of human nature yeah, that's one thing about, uh, again, our, our race, you know, we have a, a lot of good uh, qualities, but we also have a dark side, and uh, it happens in every part of the world, every country in the world, every ethnic group, uh, it's not just limited to one particular race or culture, human, it's found in everyone. Right, human nature as it is. Mm. Right. And at the same time, uh, you you try to paint the picture of uh, Sri Lanka's great beauty. Yes, I mean, the name itself, uh, Resplendent Island, uh, is indicative to what a beautiful country that is. I mean, over the years, it's been known by many names. Uh, uh, The Chinese called it the land that time forgot. it's been known as serendip, which coined the word serendipity. Uh, Taprobane, uh, and then Sri Lanka. Um, so it's a land of great beauty. It's got beautiful uh, beaches. It's got mountains. It's got wildlife in abundant. Um, it's got rainfall two seasons of the year, one from the Southwest and one from the northeast, so the country is always green and luscious. Poke anything into the ground, it grows, and the people are just so wonderful. They are so happy and very, very easy to get along with. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's truly a wonderful country. So this story, Sacred Tears, will take the reader inside of this beautiful ancient nation and of course as we've talked about into the heart of a gripping human struggle. The title Sacred Tears, we've been listening to the author Roderick Grigson. Rod, tell us how we can get your book. 
Well, the book uh, can be found on all online bookstores. So Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, they all carry it. It's not uh, available in any uh, retail outlet as yet, but that'll come in time. The book was only published in October last year, so it's been, what, six months now. But sales have been pretty good. I have uh, developed a website called uh, sacredtearsbook.com, and there's a lot of background information to the book and to the country, uh, which uh, readers will find uh, you know, quite useful to understand the different uh, cultures, ethnic groups, and uh, places in, in Sri Lanka. So, uh, and on the website, there is also uh, a place where you can uh, tab, you can go to, which uh, will take you to places that sell the book. Well, thank you so much, Rod, for joining us on Author Talk. It's been very interesting. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.